Ready? Born ready. To another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where the Party At? Today's Juneteenth. You're going to hear this episode tomorrow on Tuesday. Keith, I'm feeling real relaxed. I went and got a massage. And now I got to talk about politics, which is the opposite feeling of getting a massage. But, you know, that's all good. <laughs> Say it with a smile. Right, right. I do feel very relaxed right now, which is great. Okay, y'all. Man, I feel like we're probably on like three weeks straight of talking about this as like the first topic, but it's just too hot. Cop City, a.k.a. the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. So something happened over the hol- over the weekend, well, really Friday, that rubbed folks the wrong way, shall we say. So let me break this down. Friday, right, this is basically like a long weekend. Friday at noon, City Hall closed with no public notice. So they closed City Hall early. Normally, I think it closes at 5 p.m. They were they didn't put anything on the website. There was nothing on social media. There was nothing on the city council's social media. They just shut City Hall down at noon. And they said it was because of the holiday weekend. So the Stop Cop City movement, those are the folks who were trying to put a referendum on the ballot. They went to the city clerk's office on Friday morning and were told to come back after come back later in the day. They were checking in on the status of their petition to file for a referendum. So they come back later in the day, but City Hall is closed. And the clerk's office is not, the city clerk is not available. So everybody's like, wait, what? So they, because of this, they lost a three-day weekend to kick off their campaign and begin collecting signatures. They had planned to do a big rally on Saturday. And you imagine like all the Juneteenth events that were happening in the city of Atlanta on, you know, between Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, that was a real opportunity for them to go collect their signatures, but they can't do it. They couldn't do it all weekend because the city clerk did not sign off on the petition. So folks are alleging that the city is trying to basically eat time off the clock. Um, and if they don't, if, if everything doesn't happen in the pace that it needs to for this to be on the ref, on the ballot in November of this year, which is when the school board elections will be taking place, then their next option would be putting it on the March 12th presidential primary ballot. But if you imagine how hard is it going to be for the the opposition, so to speak, to maintain that momentum and interest between now and March, right? So almost a year uh, after the fact. So um, a lot of folks are rep- comparing this to Republicans' voter suppression tactics. Um, Tuesday, tomorrow is the first full city council meeting since the vote took place, that marathon 15 hours of public comment vote. So I'm curious to see if 
uh, opposition organizes, if people come to the city council meeting to speak, uh, and if they speak particularly to what they feel is a suppression effort from the city clerk and the city generally. Uh, of note, the Atlanta Planning and Advisory Board passed a motion in support of a referendum. Now, that does not mean they passed a motion in support of Cop City, in support of the opposition, but rather this is just a motion in support of putting it to the voters and putting it on the ballot. Uh, they also, the Stop Cop City movement, has a week of action plan for the end of this month, for the week of June 24th. And if you remember the last time they had a week of action planned, that's when a bunch of folks got arrested, um, when uh, they vandalized, a group of, of the opposition vandalized the construction equipment that, that was at the forest. So who knows what's going to happen on June 24th and that week, but I imagine there's going to be a lot of police presence and just a lot of folks kind of on standby <laughs> we'll see um yeah there's something to watch so i'm gonna skip georgia and we're just gonna kind of jump right into national politics so your president biden officially held his first campaign rally <laughs> it was in philly and this was interesting. It was a rally that was held by labor organizers and the AFL-CIO, which is one of the biggest unions, if not the biggest union in the, in the country, has already endorsed his reelect. Now, they don't usually endorse this early in the process, but Biden campaigned as a pro-labor president. Um, he has invested a lot through the National Labor Review Board um, in supporting workers' rights. So curious to see kind of if the if the actual labor people on the ground, right, the people who were part of the unions, if they really mobilize uh, and how strongly they mobilize. The campaign has events upcoming in California and Maryland, Chicago, New York City, Dallas, Texas, Tennessee, and Minnesota. What's missing? Georgia, Florida. South Carolina, those are three states that I was expecting to see something, as well as Arizona. Uh, but Philadelphia certainly makes sense as a kickoff, and obviously it's only like 30 minutes from Delaware where the president lives part-time. Um, on this labor front, you know, there's a big question about should the labor organ should labor organizers and the labor movement really back Biden? Because He's been in office for two years or three years now, and he has not passed. They have not passed the PRO Act. It passed in the House, but it has not passed in the Senate. And then Biden's nominee for the labor secretary, uh, Julie Sue, is still in limbo. The White House needs 50 votes to confirm her, to get her through the Senate, and they still don't have the 50 votes. Uh, Joe Manchin, John Tester, and then um, Kristen Cinema. So those are the three who were kind of, you know, I think Cinema has basically said no. I don't know what they're going to do at that point. Uh, but Julie Sue is is in limbo. Now, if it's between Biden and a generic Republican, I think obviously it makes sense for the 
AFL-CIO and for labor generally to support Biden because the alternative is not going to be friendly to uh, the labor movement. But there's still a lot of consternation. It's kind of like how, Keith, what we talk about with black voters, where it's like, okay, the alternative may not be that great either, but I feel like I have no choice but to do this, even though you don't really do, you do like the bare minimum or you don't do enough of what you really could do. And if you remember in the, gosh, what year was that, 2016 election? I mean, Bernie Sanders was really the, he was the labor candidate, right? And so if you, th- if you look at a Bernie Sanders voter and compare them to a Biden voter, there's a lot of differences there in kind of how they see the world. Yeah, I've heard a couple of people say that they wish they would have pushed for Bernie harder during that time right? to probably be having a different outcome. Yeah. So like I said, those sentiments are still there. Yeah, yeah. And so... To what extent do union and union members are not a monolith, right? There are, I'd say it's probably a a split between the number of union members who vote Republican versus who vote Democrat. As we talk about, I think there's some hunger for an alternative, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the pod. So I'll hold my I'll hold my fire until a little bit later. So from Biden, we got to talk about Mike Pence. So he was on the Sunday show of Meet the Press, and Chuck Todd, who's the moderator, asked Mike Pence about Trump's indictment, right? This has been the big topic uh, in Washington and in Republican circles. So Pence kind of dances around, you know, should, should Trump have been indicted? Is this all political? And then Chuck asked him this question. Would you be running if you had been indicted? Chuck, I, 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 would, I would tell you that um, I lived through a lot of years as vice president where we saw the politicization of the Justice Department. And, and whatever... The, that's when you... Re- that's well, when whatever Republicans the, whatever were running the, the Justice you're Department. You're throwing then. an interesting hypothetical out, but I have to tell you... I have to would tell you Would you have done this to the Republican Party? Had you look, been indicted it is, for... for well, look, that's, would you put the Republican Party through this? Well, look... Again, everyone's entitled to a presumption of innocence, okay? But not I mean, everyone's entitled to run for It's been president. a long time since I was in law school, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. But I did learn uh, that you can, a good prosecutor can, in, in the old <laughs> saying, indict a hand. I've only seen, no like, two interviews. One was the CNN town hall. I saw some clips of that. And then this Meet the Press interview. I've, I don't understand Pence's... Like, I feel like his comms team is failing him. These are questions that you should be anticipating. And he just has these, like, oh, uh, uh, what do I see? It's the base. It's the base. I don't want to push anybody. Goodness gracious, dude. And then Chuck Todd drew parallels between Hillary Clinton. And the whole private server, remember the whole but her emails thing, and then Trump's documents. So take a listen to this. But that you know, being, that being said, we've gone through years, yeah. Chuck. We've but during the 2016 campaign, of, you said what Hillary Clinton did with the server and the mishandling classified documents in, in October of 2016. You said it disqualified her to be commander in chief. Does this disqualify <laughs> Donald Trump to be commander in chief again? Well, I, I, I stand by that view. It's one more example 
of a two-tier justice system that we've been living through for seven years. I mean, I have to tell you, after after seeing Hillary Clinton given a pass by, by your the Justice F- Department, by, by it was the by FBI. a Republican. No, 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 no. wait, but, no, 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 no. Jeff Sessions had another U.S. attorney look into everything I, with the Clinton Foundation I, I, and didn't bring charges. This is a Republican. James this a, Comey. This was a Republican Justice Department. In the run-up to the election, you know, Chuck. I understand I'm that, not, but you guys look at it you on again. history. Hillary Clinton was given a pass, and then we went two and a half years through a, a Russia investigation that we now know from the Durham report should have never been begun. Actually, there was an inspector general we, report that said there was no politics involved with this, that everything was a legitimate reason to investigate. Uh, the, You're, uh, again, these are all Republican appointees that have okay, done this. Chuck, the independent counsel found that the investigation into Russian collusion should never have been initiated. And yet we lived through two so and a half years of a if you read, If you listen really hard, I, in essence, Pence is saying, no, Trump should not be able to run for president. He should not be the commander in chief, but he doesn't want to say it that explicitly. This is wild. So he said it. He said <laughs> yeah, it. He said it. I, I heard kind of. We kind of. He kind of danced little bit though mm-hmm. um so he spoke to the wall street journal's editorial board if you remember rupert murdoch um in, who owns the wall street journal has moved his publications away from being kind of a i'd say a bit of a rubber stamp for trump and he said this which i thought was really interesting and i quote donald trump promised to govern as a conservative and we did for four years He makes no such promise today. I mean, with regard to a whole range of issues, he and a few others in this field are moving away from a traditional conservative agenda. So I think that is what, I mean, Pence is clearly trying to own the Ronald Reagan, you know, moral majority, traditional conservative lane. It's going to be interesting to see if that's, if that's something that he can do in a real stable manner. I think there are other people in the race that might help him because they will attack other folks and not attack Pence. And and by other folks, I mean primarily Donald Trump and then to some extent Ron DeSantis. Another thing, Pence went on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show, which is a podcast up, uh, uh, conservative podcast that has gotten a lot of steam I'd say in the past three years or so two years or so and he was asked if he would pardon Trump if Pence became president if he would pardon Trump and he says it's too premature to discuss if he would pardon Trump or not and he got some real pushback take a listen uh, I, I just think it's premature to have any conversation about that right now, guys. I really Why would do. you? But hold on. Let me just ask you that because, I, I, look, yeah, I think as a matter right. of principle, I think as a matter of principle, if you believe, as, as both Buck and I do, that Donald Trump is being prosecuted to a large extent for political-based reasons, something that has never happened in the 240-plus yeah. year history of the United States, that we are setting an awful precedent here, and I think it's important to look at this even before the case has taken place. You've read the indictment. You know what the allegations are. They are serious. Right. But right. to me, what is gained by allowing Donald Trump to be put in prison in the event he was he was convicted 
is we lose infinitely more by not just taking a principled stand and saying as a matter of principle, this shouldn't happen. I'm not going to allow it. To me, if you're the executive, you are the ultimate decider. With all due respect, when you aren't telling us what your decision would be, I think you're dodging the question and 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 frankly not stepping up on the on the front of leadership, which in the past you've been willing to do. So I, I, to me, not answering is a no. Well, look, I, <laughs> number one, I don't think you know what the president's defense is, do you? I mean, what are the facts? I mean, look, we either believe in our judicial process in this country or we don't. We either stand by the rule of law. We don't. I just uh, what I would tell you is I think as someone who but has what, what I'm hearing is you're fine with Donald Trump being put think, in prison, sir. And that to me, well, look, since you, you were his talk, vice president, guys, feels guys, pretty disrespectful. Look, I, I had a standard rule. I don't talk about hypotheticals. I, look, we don't know what the president's defense here is. I think he's entitled to make his defense, entitled to have his day in court. And uh, look, let's you know, let's take it one step at a time. But I, I would just tell you that I, I uh, it, but if you, you know can, that you these are political charges and you do, you, this is not look, a this I, is not a difficult decision Clay, I think to we've, make. I think we've principle. gotten I think we've yeah. gotten what we're going to get here in terms of an answer to this one. Um, yeah, I, I just think you, any I think any conclusion by anyone running for the presidency of the United States that would prejudge the facts in this case or prejudge the investigation into President Biden or his family is premature. Let's let let's let the process play out. Let's follow the facts, and I promise you, as president of the United States, I'll do just that. I want to circle back uh, to the first one question of things, there. I don't when I was listening to that, I was like, wait, you said it was disrespectful for Pence to not say if he would pardon Trump or not. I, if I were Pence, I would have responded if, you know, it was disrespectful? Trump trying to get me killed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, Are you freaking kidding me? Like, come on, man. So... What's also interesting about this question is that means that folks think that he's actually going to go to jail. They think that he may not be able to be, uh, beat this in a court of law. I think they're assuming if some if he's not the nominee, then he's definitely going to be able to go to jail. Because yeah. I mean, because what are the rules for a president? Like he gets indicted, gets put in jail. But wins the election, wouldn't he be able to get out? Right, technically. I don't know. I guess he can run the White House from prison. A part of himself. <laughs> like, I know. You get what I'm saying? It's... So if that's not the scenario, the other scenario is whichever Republican wins. Right. And if I get the, if I want the nomination, I know I'll be the first Republican saying, "Hey, if I y'all nominate me, I'm pardoning Trump." Right. Period. Right. You know? Yeah, I think the only one who has definitively gave an answer on that is Vivek Ramaswamy, who, and I don't think he even. I mean, I know he doesn't really have a shot. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, he can he can say that because he's not going to be the nominee. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. All right, back to Biden. I I you know I want to give a shout out to something Biden did that. Folks may not have paid any attention to, but if you go to concerts or big events, Biden is trying to earn your vote. This might be a promise kept and a, a promise said and a promise kept here. So, you know, the whole Live Nation ticket masters with these like junk fees where they're you purchase a ticket and they add on all these extra fees. And you're like, wait, 
my concert went from $80 to $120 because of the fees. So Biden had has talked about this and in the State of the Union address earlier this year, he actually made this something that was a key part of the State of the Union, which surprised people. Just as a reminder, let's take a listen. Cable, internet, and cell phone companies can charge you 200 or more if you decide to switch to another provider. Give me a break. We can stop service fees on tickets to concerts and sporting events and make companies disclose all the fees up front. And we'll prohibit airlines from charging $50 round trip for family just to be able to sit together. Baggage fees are bad enough. Airlines can't treat your child like a piece of baggage. Americans are tired of being. We're tired of being played for suckers. So pass. So this was one of the things he mentioned to address, like, just regular everyday folks, right? Um, Which is really more middle class, I would say, middle class folks. So Live Nation and Ticketmaster have now agreed to show all your fees up front when you purchase a ticket. And then American Airlines, Frontier Airlines, and Alaska Airlines have all agreed to not charge families to sit together. So they were charging like $50 a ticket for a family that wanted to sit together. And then Airbnb was also another one of the companies that met with the White House. This has also been a sticky point for Airbnb where you are trying to, you know, rent out a house and you're like, okay, it shows that it's $250 a night. But again, all the extra fees end up, you know, could be nearly doubling the price. So here's what the White House said, um, in response to the actions that they took. So here's what the White House said, and I quote, Today's voluntary actions demonstrate that companies, both big and small, recognize the importance of providing consumers with honest, upfront, all-in pricing, rather than tricking them with surprise fees at the end of the checkout. It's also just a first step towards addressing junk fees in the economy. So you'll note the phrase voluntary actions The White House did not mandate these companies did this, but when the president publicly shames you at the State of the Union address, it's essentially a mandate, Um, and it's something I think everyone would agree with, right? If you have purchased an airline ticket or purchased a concert ticket in the past three years, I know for me this is like something that's always annoying. So kudos to Biden for looking out for the middle class. All right. We always like to talk about some polls. Whoops. Put your mind out the gutter. We we are going to highlight some interesting tidbits from the Gallup, from a Gallup poll or a couple of Gallup polls. The first is that approval of same-sex relationships has dropped year to year. So that's from 2022 to current. From 71% to 64%. And then if you look at that from a partisan lens for Republicans, approval dropped from 56% to 41%. So now that is below 50% approval of same-sex relationships. Really interesting. Another one. Oh, Keith, you want to say something? No, I mean, this is... Clear push. This is a clear pushback. 
That's all it is. I think yeah, you had like, a higher rate of acceptance before you got it forced, quote unquote, on you. Yeah, you know? I think it's I think it's reaction. You know, the whole like groomer language that has I think helped decrease these numbers. State legislators um, in adopting anti-trans legislation has helped uh, uh, reduce these numbers. And I think the um, when you bring children into it, there's been mm-hmm. more talk of now LGBTQ children. And right. once you start talking that talk, a lot of conservatives yeah. feel like... The whole drag queen thing. Yeah, they, like you said. Drag they, queen story hour at the library. The, the grooming. And, right. You know, why are we sexualizing children? And right. then that decreases. Now you don't want anybody. Okay, well, if that's the case, no, I'm not for... Anything if same sex means that, then no, I'm not for it. Right. So the Disney boycott, which was before, you know, I don't even. So I was it a movie? Was it a Disney movie with a? uh, I don't know what happened, but something with some Disney movie. Yeah, they had a they had a Disney movie with a with a trans trans, uh, character. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, another interesting one is uh, the number of people who are pro death penalty, pro the death penalty, has increased. From 55% to 60%. I think part of this is a reaction to what conservatives feel is lawlessness happening in the country. You know, I had a a conversation with my dad over the uh, Father's Day weekend about the death penalty before I even saw this Gallup research. And I don't even know how we got on it, but he said that he was for the death penalty. And I said... The death penalty does not deter people from committing heinous crimes, right? No one says, oh, I'm not going to shoot up the school because I'm going to get the death penalty. It, it does not deter. You know, but what's, what's funny is I remember in high school debating with a teacher and I said I was pro-death penalty. But I was like, I don't understand why you would have someone be on death row for 25 years. That seems like a waste of taxpayer dollars. Like if they get the death penalty, just <laughs> tomorrow. <kill them> that <laughs> way. I was like, they're kind of gone then and there. And he's like, "Oh, you young one, <laughs> right?" Yeah. And he's like, "Sometimes people are given the death penalty, but they're innocent, you know." And I just, you know, didn't. So obviously, we've seen that play out in Georgia. Yeah, I mean, the innocence project, the right? Whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was an, you know just an interesting thing that that is <laughs> increased number of people who are. Pro death penalty. Yeah, and then for deterring the crime, what has to happen is like we talked about plenty of times on the podcast, just equal justice, right? You know, because I know me with my color and my skin, if I do a certain crime and get the death penalty, I will definitely be out of here. We've seen mass shooters of a different hue still not. Like awaiting this yeah. trial and this even getting acquitted and you know a lot of that stuff you know so I think the tearing would be period just you know punishing everybody equally and right. you'll see okay hey nobody can escape the law yeah I remember the the Asian spa shooter I don't think he got the death penalty hmm, look at that yeah um so that was one another one 
social, this is, this all kind of ties together. Social conservatism has grown since 2021. And of note, the highest increase in social conservative is individuals ages 30 to 49. So in, in 2021, that was about 22% of people who said they identify socially conservative. Today, that number has increased to 35%. Uh, and then the last one of, of this, just looking through the data, independents generally were aligned a bit closer to Democrats than Republicans. But, you know, I was reading something about how a number of people are calling themselves independents or identifying as independents. And I think this is the political version of calling yourself spiritual, where you don't want to identify as, you know, a Baptist or whatever your Christian religion is, or if you were raised Muslim or whatever it might be. Uh, but at your core, you still identify with that religion, but you want to publicly be identified as spiritual. So I think the same thing is is happening on the independent side. Um the the whole social conservatism I, i'm curious to see how this is going to play out in 2024 uh, another thing that gallup said is that fiscal conservative conservatism is also on the rise and so you have a movement a shift to the right but it's not i don't know if is it going to show up in the 2024 election for president right and to what extent does it show up in the Senate elections that are in 2024, will Democrats maintain control of the Senate or will people say it doesn't matter, right? You have Republicans who have control of the House. Control of the Senate is going to be up for grabs, essentially, and then obviously the presidency. Um, if Republicans do a full sweep, that's going to be remarkable to see. I think they will. And a uh, side note, the spa shooter, life sentence. Oh, he was sentenced to life. Yeah, but not... Not, the, not, not death, death penalty. penalty. Sentenced life to life. Sentence. Yeah. Life so, in prison. Interesting. So, yeah. Know, is it a deterrent? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. I, I think... But I can only imagine what would happen in this country if every mass shooter... And we're not talking about just shootings and death. Right. No, you're a mass shooter. Mm-hmm. Proven mass shooter was put to death the very, like, next, next month. day. After yeah. you're convicted and everything, within that month, boom. If every mass shooter, I think that would deter, I think that would deter mass shootings. If you did it that way, I think yeah. we just don't. You right. Know, depending on the circumstances and everything. Yeah, too, I, think, I think a lot of folks would freak out if we did that. Right. I think a lot of, like, you know, I think of uh, Quaker-type folks, I think they would, absolutely freak out if america went down that path yeah but mass shootings either that or you're probably start passing some of those gun laws they're not gonna get yeah i mean that's that's a interesting approach to say okay you won't pass gun laws then let's get tough on crime quote unquote yeah like we're that's what i'm saying we're the liberals on this side like hey write my tough on crime bill right and do it to where yeah if you're yeah. a mass shooting then we're gonna give you the death penalty yeah. and then who could oppose that? Oh, you oppose that as a Republican? Right. Well, let's, yeah. let's debate it in front of the people. Right. And tell me why you really oppose yeah, right. so. <sighs> Keith for president. I wish politics would be fun like that. I know. <laughs> it reminds me of um, 
when we used to do it in like high school, right? You know, or even mock you in. Mm-hmm. You ever did mock you yeah. in? Or model you in? I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, writing Same. bills yeah. and having fun, you know, discussing and debating. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should do like uh, our own version of that for the pod. Mm-hmm. Like, pick a couple topics and have people come. Yeah. Okay. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. All right, y'all, kind of on the same vein, we'll launch into party poopers. This is an interesting one. Never go around singing the party pooper song. Every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. Party pooper. (laughs) Party pooper. The Southern Baptist Convention last week reaffirmed their belief in not allowing women to be pastors. And the Baylor University, their evangelical historian, a guy named Barry Hankins, said this, and I quote, For some people, being Christian means bringing people into a relationship with Christ. To others, it means bringing people into a worldview. That's a big difference. So the Southern Baptist Convention voted to, um, there were two churches in particular that had appealed their removal from the Southern Baptist Convention. One was a church that was led by a woman. Another was a church that uh, Rick Warren started, the guy who wrote A Purpose Driven Life, which is a pretty popular book. Uh, I don't think uh, they have a woman pastor, but I don't think she's the lead pastor. And Rick Warren has been like really pushing the Southern Baptist Convention to allow women to be pastors uh, and to have a leadership role in the church. But the Southern Baptist Convention said, nah, like we're not down with that. So the, I bring not all that up because if of all the candidates running for president on the Republican ticket, the one most likely to get the support of the Southern, ba- Southern Baptist Convention is Mike Pence. And so if you just think about kind of this whole thing we just talked about about social conservatism and then what's happening within the southern baptist churches and then like kind of what's happening in the world right the world at large conversations around abortion right conversations around healthcare access this is a world view and these are um, some of those things we talk about with uh, black voters Black conservative voters, there are a big faction of black Christians who don't believe women should be pastors either. Yeah, you know this. You know this is right in line with the conservatism. So, yeah, yeah. I personally have a problem with that, but you know, I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna say anything else. <laughs> I'm the party starter. Everybody, let's go. For our party starter, this might not be a name you know today, but it will certainly be a name you know over the next year uh, as the campaign, the election season heats up. Michael Tyler, who uh, is a Morehouse grad from Atlanta, his his mom works at the city. His dad is a you know major partner at a law firm here in Atlanta. He was just named the communications director for President Biden's reelection campaign. So congratulations to Mike. Uh, you got a heck of a job ahead of you, um, but I know you're capable. So best of luck. 
it's just cool to see. It's always cool to see Atlanta folks plugged into campaigns. I know there's some Georgia people plugged into Pence's campaign. Uh, I don't know if there. I imagine there's probably some Georgia people plugged into Trump's campaign as well. So yeah, it's always always good to see Georgia folks, you know, making their way on the national stage. Morehouse man, you know, you know, shout out. Yeah, I'm interested to see how he uh, pivots these communications. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not going. It's not for the faint of heart. It's going to be a hard one. Yeah, but we'll see. All right, y'all. That is today's show. Uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. If there's something you want me to talk about next week, hit me a line and let me know. Until next time, keep tuning in to Where to Party At. <laughs>